Welcome to the Moving Forward podcast. As promised last week, I'm going to start out each episode by reading a five-star review. Uh, this one is from Raven J. Progressives and conservatives truly have a lot in common, and it's wonderful to hear issues discussed in earnest without hate and grandstanding on either side. Really great job, guys. Not right, not left, but forward. Oh, thanks, Raven. Uh, and today we have Jenner Zeno back on. Say hi, Jenner. Hey. <laughs> and I hi. understand you, you're doing an exciting new Humanity First project yourself. Do you want to talk about that before we get into the main topic? Well, uh, just briefly. If people are familiar with me, they know me from Mindwave, probably, which was we had our big Humanity First thing throughout the Yang campaign. We had two seasons of this long form podcast show with people in the end gang just trying to get to know people uh getting people's stories and letting people get to know the other people that was like the whole the whole game uh but at, obviously after andrew dropped uh focus has changed been doing a million other things but that's always been i think the best thing that we ever did in conjunction with the voices thing the voicemail line actually having people call in and share their stories and then, you know, just scoring that to Hollywood level cinematic music, sweeping scores, making people just cry all over the place at how beautiful the stories are, because they are some of the most like getting through that creatively is just a joy. Uh, I get paid in tears. I love it. And I want to start doing that again. But uh, it feels like this humanity first thing needs to come back and it needs to come back like strong and also different. So I'm calling it Humanity First Rebirth. We're collecting the best stories, however we can get them, and then making the the entire thing a listening experience. There's not going to be a whole lot of long form conversation, just raw conversation type stuff in it. It's really each one's going to feel like a, a mini movie for your mind. And I think that that's the way to go. So, you know, things come in, things come in, uh, soon hopefully to mindwave we'll see oh yeah that's lots of things on the calendar <clears throat> yeah as you know jenner the reason i ask you to come on for this one and everybody you probably know by now jenner is one of the recurring guest stars one of the recurring co-hosts whatever you want to call them uh of our podcast um he amusingly called himself the squishy gay liberal in the very first episode i had on with him so that kind of gives you a sense where he's coming from politically yeah so today i want to talk about the great distancing and it, it really does relate to humanity first because i think humanity first has to be the way to solve this problem um but first let's talk about what the problem is and then we can we can move on to the uplifting inspirational humanity first vision that can help us solve it um Basically, the way I see the great distancing is, and this is a, a term that I, I coined to describe this phenomenon, but I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the first person to talk about this phenomenon. In fact, Andrew Yang himself um, touched on it to some extent in the war on normal people. His take on it is different from mine, which is, I'm not going to call it a war on normal people because to me that puts a lot of blame on elites as if they're supposedly put, like actually waging a war on normal people. And I don't think that's the way it's actually going out. About mm. I see a lot of blame actually all over the political spectrum and all over the socioeconomic spectrum. I don't think it makes sense to place all the blame on it on on any one person's shoulders. And then, of course, if you read read Andrew Yang's book, he doesn't really come to that conclusion. It's not as populist as all that in practice, but it is. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm sure his yeah, editor. It's, thought it was it's a, a poppy, catchy book title, but I I kind of yeah. even take take issue with you know self self identifying as a normal person in that equation. I'm like. <coughs> how boring Excuse right me. who wants to be normal yeah 
Excuse me. Uh, yeah, I, I'm giving myself a giggle over this one because I'm like, who the fuck is none of the, none of us are. What is normal? Normal mm. is a is a weird, stupid word that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, it's uh, super vague. But I, I, I think I think that in the case of that title, what was compelling about it rhetorically was the idea that um, that something as innocuous as normality, that there could be a war on it. You know what I mean? Um, I think that's that's kind of where it was coming from there. But I, I I'm 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 quite certain Yang would agree with you that we're all individuals and norm, normal is is kind of a weird philosophical concept. It's kind of problematic. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So most of you guys have probably listened to episodes 108 and 109 on the real divide that Corey Cottrell and I did way back in the day. Um. Gosh, I guess it wasn't even that long ago. It feels like forever ago. Uh, and in that, we kind of outlined what the real divide is. It's not left or right. It's not uh, Republican um, versus Democrat. It's actually basically liberalism understood in the broad sense of the way that it defines the values that founded the United States versus all illiberal ideologies, which which due to populism, economic populism and other forms and nationalism and other forms of populism is uh under threat. And so we we laid out the real divide as essentially classic liberalism which which is not a synonym for the left and is not a synonym for the Democratic Party. It actually describes the way both parties were for most of this country's history versus uh you know extreme illiberal ideologies like communism or fascism. Um do you want to say anything about that Jenner before I continue? Well, just just on this note because rolling the clock back here you're referring to this this new phenomenon as the great distancing which is really not a new phenomenon i'm almost certain on on some ancient scrap of scroll somewhere people are talking about the exact same thing happening in like the roman empire like oh, for sure the, that story is in the bible we're dealing with really old really fundamental human problems here yeah yeah no, democracy can't really cohere um when there's this much of a divide um, and so the, 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 what I mean by the great distancing is what basically the cause of the real divide. So we've already broken down the real divide in episodes 108 and 109. And I want to talk about how we got there. Like, why is this divide growing? Right. Um, what's causing the distancing that's bringing about the divide? I think I think we got really close in the last conversation that we had around the culture of resentment because I do feel like that is the biggest the biggest one of the biggest factors at least is this general feeling of resentment and other otherizing if we want to take it way down base level um just otherizing and this, the feeling of justifiable, like there's an injustice there. So you can justifiably be angry. You can justifiably be violent. You can justifiably, you know, do what you think is necessary to remedy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also embrace um, extreme ideologies that yeah. until recently were considered unacceptable by most Americans. Um, yeah. That, that, that's the last episode Jenner was on. He's referencing 164, the culture of resentment in which, Jenner calms me down and makes me less bitter. <laughs> right. You had to put a subtitle on it. I'm a fairly mellow guy, and I'm not having the dumpster fire. I'm just like, y'all are a bunch of weird monkeys, and the stuff you're doing is not unique or new. Humans have been doing this for at least 200,000 years. 
we're calling the problems new things because we're doing oh heck yeah you want to talk about history repeating like, itself like, i mean <laughs> the 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 rise of illiberal ideology was what led to uh you know world war ii right mm-hmm. um and we it could it could lead us into world war three and i think it's important to remember that um, we might not survive World War III because we now have <laughs> weapons that are capable of destroying the the entire human race. Yeah. Um, There's like a civilization thing at play now, but the as far as like the behaviors go, th- this is the same shit that like chimps do in the wild. I mean, you want to understand humans? I think <laughs> study like primatology. I think in anthropology in general, the history of human cultures and how humans just kind of work as an animal and that that will get you way further than any political philosophy book or because you just, you know, you see humans a, a different way when you realize that's what we are, what we've always been, what we've always done. And to some degree, what we will always do because we are just a weird species of monkey. Um, and these behaviors are not unique. They're not, you know, not to the to the election cycle, not to the, you know, circumstance to, you know, global economies, all that. I feel like we get lost. Uh, we get lost when we play around too much out there. And my whole function is to just bring it back to like, well, no, guys, this, this is a, these are actually really old ideas. Really, really, really old. Fundamental classic liberalism goes, I mean, we're thousands of years. These are not uh new ideas but they've been in in the idea sphere if you will there's a lot of new ideas that have popped up that haven't really you know i've referred to this as as the whole immune system of our social discourse a lot of really bad really crampy ideas have been allowed to flourish just because they're not openly challenged we're kind of missing that open forum of uh, respectful challenging of ideas, which I think is another thing to bring back. If we want to really start to make progress, we need like to embrace the true liberal sense of debate. No, bring it forth. What, what, what are your arguments, etc. cetera, uh, to where it's not this kind of tribal. You, I, we're one of us. You're one of them. Therefore we hate you and everything about you. And that is something that people are devolving to. I'm going to use the word devolve. (laughs) That's what's happening. And this is something that like literally no matter where you look in human history, you will find this story. People devolving into the shit flingers. uh, And that I think is where the key is. (laughs) If there is one to be found, it's not going to be in some radical new policy. It's not going to be you know, found in a book. It's going to be found in the <laughs> book of life, man. Yeah. Well, not certainly not in a single book. I mean, that's actually, it's a, that's a problem that's manifest very strongly in religious traditions, but it also manifests itself in any kind of ideological tradition that is sufficiently dogmatic or um, is divorced from reason. Um, right. So, you know, the uh, religious people think, um, often that there's one or maybe a handful of books, certainly like one or two collections of books that are canon that really all you need to actually like understand what's important in life is to understand those books. And then they endlessly debate the meaning of those books. 
without ever taking seriously the possibility that those are the wrong books or that maybe those are just, you know, maybe those books are no more special than any other book or maybe there's other books mm-hmm. that are better. Um, and you see the same thing happening in uh, dogmatic ideologies. You know, I, like Marxism itself was a kind of secular religion, um, I would say, and it becomes circular. It's based on a bunch of assumptions that you're not allowed to question, yeah. for example, right? And similarly, fascism is um, Marxism being the dogmatic ideology that tried to push for equal outcomes and fascism being the dogmatic ideology that tried to weirdly artificially maintain a hierarchy structure, um, which, you know, if you're an actual normal right winger like myself, you don't think that you need to artificially maintain hierarchy structures. You think that hierarchies are inevitable consequences of the way humans interact with one another that um while equality is a good goal um to aspire to nobody is ever really we're never going to reach a utopia where the world is entirely uh equal and where everybody is equal you know everybody's born equally good looking and they're all equally talented at playing the piano you know (laughs) it's just that's not the way you know reality works as much as you might want it to also frankly how boring would that be i think part of what makes life interesting is that we are different from each other and and there's not a single hierarchy either there's there's a whole bunch of different hierarchies you know like some people have more money than than other people some people are more talented than other people some people are better looking than other people all of those things can give you a leg up in society and this idea that you're going to come in you know with the hammer of the government and inf- and enforce like a top down conception of how you think that hierarchy should be whether it's a marxist one or a fascist one that's just going against human nature yeah which is which is really one of the most important things here is that we need to be careful anytime we're talking anytime we use label words you know like a marxist alt right you know anytime we're saying like these people do that it's really not these people do that it's humans this is what we all this problem exists across the spectra of human behavior across the entirety span of our history. This is something that all humans do. (laughs) And I feel like that's really what humanity first is realizing. No, that's just making a distinction between the ideas people hold and the value of the people themselves as individuals. It's fundamental. All of X people think Y. I'm sorry. What? Oh, definitely not. Well, yeah, that, no, and, and I, well, I, I completely absurd. agree with that. That's why. I mean, I'm I'm talking about ideas and like the history of ideas. I'm not um, saying that everybody who is uh, you know a certain demographic all thinks the same way. I mean, yeah, I'm not really even talking about people right now. We're just talking about ideas. Um, yeah, so I take even, your point. Even crunchy gay liberal over here, which I did refer to myself as like snarkily, like even that category of public figures, go look out there at the, the crunchy gay liberals. I mean, uh, I, okay. I'm trying to think of, or, what, or like uh, the, or, or Milo, the, crun- the crunchy gay Nazi. Uh, <laughs> I was actually going to have him on the show at one point. There were, there were talks in the works that was going to be amazing. I am going to get lady MAGA though, kids. So for the outrage machine, uh, that has been, is that, is that a play on, on lady Gaga? 
it is this that's, is the pro this is, like this is a pro trump drag queen who went out to events and huh. like sequin gowns and did good deeds yeah no i mean i do think it is important to <laughs> I remind people that yeah. human beings are way more complicated than any simplistic stereotypes we might have about yeah. you know like all drag queens must be lefties that sort of thing I, all gay men must true. be you know like this it's that no true scotsman crap it's that uncle tom crap it's like no Okay, like uh, gay conservative is a thing that exists, you know, like black conservative. Yeah, not only that, but the fact that that we can have, you know, gay conservatives or black conservatives is a sign of enormous progress, actually. What that shows that the status quo for um, minority groups um, but using the word minority groups almost in air quotes at this point because mm-hmm. it's a poorly defined term. But the status quo for groups that were historically actually were oppressed, right, has improved so much that now they feel comfortable, you know, defending the status quo. Um, and I, I think that's a good thing. That's a sign of progress. And part of the pro- part of the problem that we're running into is a lot of people who are like professional activists feel like they need to justify their jobs and convince people to give them money. And you, you can't, apparently you can't do that by celebrating the successes because then they say, well, what else is there left to do? It's time to rest on your laurels and, you know, go sit under your fig tree. <laughs> right. Um, so, so you have to keep moving the goalposts and moving the goalposts and moving the goalposts until you're now advocating for increasingly radical things that are totally divorced from the original concept of basic equality of opportunity. Right. Like rolling back discrimination laws, We're n- that that horse is so dead. <laughs> I feel like any time I get on on the line with one of you guys, it's like, yeah, that's literally what we're talking about. It's when you it's when you go full circle to when you you get into these new religions. I have no problem calling them religions because this is this is the phenomena. This is like wh- how religions were made. Is this exact kind of cultural? Think like I would not be surprised in the least if in like a hundred thousand years they discovered that there was a you know on some weird part of the North American continent in the year forty two hundred there was like some massive religion like the like Trump had amassed his own restarted his own re- religion that went to war with like. You know, I don't. I mean, he he kind of did. He kind of did start a religion. I mean, that's sort of how religions. It's not sort of how religions um, happen. You know, they start with uh, one or two charismatic figures and uh, some kind of ideology that becomes popular for whatever reason, and and it kind of takes over people's lives. It gives them a sense of meaning, and they start devoting their entire lives to it. Um, Yeah, yeah. John uh, John McWhorter, who's a a linguist at uh, Columbia. Um, is actually writing a book right now that I'm very much looking forward to reading, um, which is about this exact phenomenon where he talks about the rise of kind of anti-racism in a movement that he calls um, the elect um, and and says that it is the birth of a new religion. He, he's going to argue that it is it is a religion because it's not based on data or facts in any way. It's based on a, uh, a, a, a faith and, and a set of dogmas, a certain way of looking at the world. Yes. So that's going to help us. Adherence to a single worldview that does Yeah, and I think it's worth pointing out because, you know, like, some, some, some of, some of our, <laughs> some of our um, own um, racial stereotypes might prevent us from recognizing this and people might be getting very upset, but John McWhorter is a black man. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's right. A black person can can be a linguist at Columbia and could even disagree <sighs> with wokeness. Who, who would have thought? It's just such a cringy thing that we even have to point that out. It, it really feels like the token character on South Park. Like, oh, well, why aren't there any black kids in this show? And then they invented Dokken, who's a delightful character. And then they've since, you know, developed and diversified. That, that show is so underrated. I think it's, a, I mean, yes. its best seasons were full on masterpieces as far as I'm concerned. Oh, my God. Um, love you, Matt and Trey. <laughs> God, I have such a boner for those guys because they really. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's really, that's exactly really, really what John John's uh, concern with like, it is. Is he says that it's actually born out of this kind of the soft bigotry of low expectations and this idea that if there is any disparity in the outcomes of the average black person versus the average white person, that it must be due to systemic racism, and that's that's where the leap of faith comes in because you're not allowed to question it. You're not allowed to say that it might be due to something else. Yes, um, and 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 you know, he, he, he's 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 reached the, he's reached the heights of the socio socioeconomic ladder, um, and he just doesn't feel like that's true. He doesn't feel like it held him back. You know, like he 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 also says that he just doesn't think that he's faced as much racism as. Um, as like a lot of people say they personally faced, you know, he's just like, yeah, you know, I've run into racist people. I've had people call me the N word and I just kind of shrugged it off. Cause I was like, well, he said, usually when people call me the N word, it's usually some poor working class white person. And I know I'm better than him. So why should I be worried about that? He's just being an idiot. <laughs> so that's, there's your, that's John McWhorter. Anyway. Yeah. What this is, uh, you know, and I'm not I'm not totally up on where the term Uncle Tom came from. Uh, it's Uncle Tom's cabin, presumably, but I'm not a reader. <laughs> but it is kind of like that, like, oh, that you, you oh, you're you're abandoning your people. You're being by being one of them. This whole it's us, them. Yeah, no, there's no winning. There's they, no winning, are you? Because if you're if you're a black person and you become successful, right, then you're a, you're you're betraying you're betraying your race or something like that. And like, so what you're Even, supposed to just this is why real, the first time you had me on the show to talk about like getting into the weeds of the ADW, the first time you're like, well, what do you mean about, you know, like this, this being radical? And I'm just like, because if we're going to have this conversation somewhere in there, somebody needs to point out that the thing that we're calling race is fucking imaginary. It's not even real. Okay. And if you are going to put people in those, groups the thing that we're calling ethnic or racial groups the diversity within those groups is greater than the diversity between them okay it from a basic math arithmetic type analysis of these groups that you are insisting that they exist and that that, that is the most meaningful distinction and that we can lump people into gigantic categories while really ever shrinking categories of how many, you know, how many boxes do you tick, you know, in this landscape, this is the problem kids. It's based on a lie. It's all based on a fucking lie. And we're never going to make any progress ever. I think we will be going in circles until the end of time. We are never going to make any progress until that is one of the, the fundamental things that is acknowledged at the beginning of any conversation like this, we need to establish that no, that that thing that people are calling black and white isn't actually 
a thing. That's a really old, stupid idea that should be dead, basically, in the in the world of ideas, in the realm of ideas. That one should have died out a long time ago because we know it's wrong. It's factually, scientifically, genetically wrong. We just don't think about humans like that in the science spheres. So I think getting the general population to stop thinking about humans like that is really the goal. Because <laughs> we're just talking about humans. We're talking about one species. We're talking about one race of mostly hairless, weird monkey that can make mouth noises. We're talking about one thing. <laughs> God, uh, you got me in a roll this morning, man. Uh, well, that's why I wasn't going to stop you yet. Um, so let's talk about some kind of grounding facts or some grounding stats um, related to this topic. So um, I brought I brought up in the inequality episode with Chet, I used as a source this book, uh, The Merit- Meritocracy Trap. Uh, apparently, um, the affluent the well-to-do um you know from the upper middle class and above on average hold publicly far more liberal political views um in the in the the classic sense of liberal that we're talking about so shock and awe super rich people don't tend to be communists right but they do tend to hold very um classically liberal views in the sense that they believe in you know racial equality and gender equality um, and LGBT rights and those sorts of things and very publicly state them. And the idea that, you know, if people want to be polyamorous or like if you want to redefine what a family is or make a family that fits you, if you want to be a a trio of like a bi guy and a bi girl and, an, and another bi girl and then adopt children or whatever, you know, they're very pro that. Right. But this is what's interesting that I don't think that would terribly surprise anybody. This is what I found interesting. If you look at their actual personal lives. Um, they actually tend to live very conservative lives. So we're talking about this affluent demographic. So publicly, they espouse these very liberal views, which I, I, I'm just going to stipulate. I also espouse, I think, their right to, 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 to believe in those things. I mean, you know, here you are. Welcome to the real right. We actually do believe in individual liberty and small government, you guys. Okay. <laughs> um, but in their personal lives, they're far more likely to have their first child after they've been married, right? So they don't have children out of wedlock. That's a, it's, it's almost a non-existent problem for that demographic. Um, the women are less likely to work. Uh, the men make more money than the women. Um, so they're more likely to have stay-at-home moms, right? They have fewer kids. Uh, they, they live within their means. Um, you know, they don't, they, don't, they don't blow their money on grandiose lifestyles they can't afford. And so, like, they actually live a very conservative life, but publicly have this very liberal view. Um, And that sounds a little contradictory unless you start to see conservatism and progressivism the way that I've been pushing them on this podcast. Now, by contrast, the so-called working class, so people who are below that affluent demographic, so lower middle class and and below, um, these people, they actually have... They're much more likely to have children out of wedlock, much more likely, like a lot more. Um, You know, we're talking like 50 percent of their kids are born out of wedlock instead of like 2 percent. It's a huge, huge difference. Right. They are uh, much more likely to get a divorce. They're much more likely to never get married. Um, The women on average actually earn more than the men. Um, 
they don't have stay-at-home parents as often. Um, and they do tend to actually be rather irresponsible with their money. Um, now, of course, they have less less of it to work with, and you can talk about the reason why all of this might be happening. But you know, in order to escape it, you gotta be responsible at some point, and it turns out they they tend not to be. So, at but nevertheless, at the same time, that that group, the the so called working class demographic, they hold publicly very conservative views. They are the groups who say like you shouldn't have children out of wedlock. You should get married before you have babies. We women should be stay at home moms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet that's so. It, it, so what's amusing here is that in both cases you have a group of people who are saying you know do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. Which is why it feels silly to put to put a pin in any in any moment in human history and find it more significant than another because it's like really we've been trying to figure this out for fucking ever how to get people to stop doing that (laughs) you know organizing themselves into groups that uh are very much this do as we say not as we do and then they try to use that group to assert some kind of you know power dynamic yeah and to, and, to, and to be clear um you know i was just saying those are those are statistics on average i'm not saying that every member of that of one or the other socioeconomic group fits it it's just that like they're 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 wildly different in terms of their averages and i think that that is oh, something yes. that's, Which, that's statistically also. interesting and it does speak to a kind of distancing doesn't it it seeks to be a distancing between yeah. not just the values of elites and regular people, but also the lifestyles of elites and regular people. And that that distancing is um, riddled with hypocrisy. Absolutely. It, it's different. They're different reality bubbles, but they're both pretend. <laughs> okay. They're both pretend reality bubbles. Uh, it's in some sense, nobody's kind of actually in just reality. They yeah, and to clarify once again, you know, the the source for those those stats is uh Daniel Markovitz, who's a professor at uh, Yale Law School. I've been thinking a lot about what's actually causing this distancing and I do think that Markovitz um was right that education is a big part of it and access to education is a big part of it. There's a huge discrepancy in terms of access to education. Um, along socioeconomic lines, um, and if you want equal opportunity, that is actually a real a real issue. That was a big a, a big subject of his book. What do you think about that, Jenner? What's causing the distancing? Why is why are why are elites and regular people so far apart in terms of their basic moral and political values? And I I, I know that there was always some distance there, but Mm-mm. there are certain ideas that are outside what we consider acceptable. And it didn't really matter what socioeconomic class you were. The vast majority of people agreed that, you know, fascism was bad and communism is bad. Right. But these things are back. um, And the, maybe you disagree with this, but it seems to me that the, uh, the, the, the resurgence of those illiberal ideologies is coming mainly from economic populism, which is mainly coming from, the middle and working class. It doesn't seem to be something that's driven by, by elites. What do you think about that? Well, I think the, the, okay. I think the, the base problems are base human, they're monkey problems, but they're, we have this engine, this economic engine that kind of silos people into their, you know, pockets of wherever you are on the economic ladder 
you're pretty much kind of fucking stuck there if you're closer <laughs> to the bottom. Um, if we're going with that hierarchy model, which I, I think it's important that this is just rolling way back. Way back, I wanted to bring up the dis- the distinction between dominance hierarchy hierarchies and growth hierarchies because humans kind of do both. Uh, especially when we get into the social realm, but that's, I feel like that's a bit too much of a detour, but um, rolling back to this, I feel like the, the economic reality for people is the engine that is driving so much of that. The, the problems themselves, I think between the, the social problems, if we're diagnosing them, um, are just really based fun, fundamental human nature type shit. It's just being amplified by, you know, the economic situation, which varies wildly, which is the thing that is forcing us to put people into groups like poor, <laughs> lower middle class, middle class, etc. Why we're even thinking about this in a ladder at all. We've talked about this um, lived experiences argument that uh, those on the left sometimes use to try and enact policy. Well, this is how my lived experience is kind of like the, you know, um, let's can make you, laws. Can you define really quickly what people mean by that? before? Well, you I, I'm trying to do it without sounding snarky because it's very much like we should create policy based on No, I mean, you're feelings. the species liberal. Your job is to be snarky. Bring it on. <laughs> uh, you know, but there is something to be said for the reality bubble phenomenon between these economic classes, an average day, if we're even breaking them into classes, but let's say, let's say it's a, it's a, a cloud. <laughs> let's say it was, it was uh, an, an ether, if you will, there are dense pockets. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a straight up and down, you know, dominance hierarchy. I think even that's the wrong way to think about it. Um, but between these different points in space, your day is going to be wildly different, you know, depending on where you are geographically, where you are economically, um, how valuable to society the society thinks you are, whether or not you actually can provide value to that society. There seems to be some other kind of force operating there which feels top down but i feel like that might be kind of one of these other things that we should we should shake up the snow globe here and try not to think about it in those terms try not to think about people in boxes that are higher and lower that it's just that the experiences wherever you go are so wildly different that people literally just aren't understanding each other we're really talking about a fundamental like breakdown of language which on a planet of 8 billion humans and hundreds of languages and dialects and shit, it's kind of amazing we can talk at all. But I think our, our quote, lived experiences, which I we, I think, between the handful of us have used that disparagingly to refer to, um, you know, the more social justice types who are using that as a let's change policy thing. I, I think so much of it is just about that, that like we really can't, we're not even seeing the same world, you know, and this is like walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. This is one of those other really old ideas. Um, 
Yeah, but no, I think you're right. I think that I think that there is actually a real um culture war that's appearing um and it's a culture war that is largely being fought between um the working classes. Um <clears throat> it's sort of dividing the working classes and and but meanwhile elites are actually more or less on the on the same page. Um, and and so this culture war is both dividing the working class from elites, but also from each other um, mm-hmm. in a way that's kind of hard to wrap our minds around. You know what I mean by that? It's it's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yeah, I no, mean, it is. It is. And <sighs> not only that, but I like as I said at the outset of this, I don't think there's any one group that's to blame for it. I think it's a phenomenon that's happening because human relationships are complicated and group dynamics are complicated and the way individuals within each group interact both within the group and without the group are complicated. Um, and it's just, it's resulting in this distancing. Um, I know that people like to, some people on the left like to focus on systemic causes of that. Um, but you know, part of the problem with social engineering is it's based on this, I think naive idea that you can um, guess how, not just guess, but I guess in order for it to work, you really have to just be 100% right <laughs> in predicting how groups and individuals are going to behave in, within a system. And, you know, um, the reason that economics is, is a hard game is because that, that just in practice, that doesn't work out that way. Yeah, it's the I need it's the naive idea that humans are simple things. Humans are anything but simple. We are one of the most complex creatures that we know about. Uh, yeah, and social systems are are also really complicated. You know, yes, so I, I guess like you know, lazy. It's it's <clears throat> laziness, man. It's intellectual laziness. We want to say all these people are this color and they go in this box. All this economic. You know, the all these groups of people, let's put them in this little and say, okay, you're this and you're that. That is such a stupid, backwards, dumb way to think about humans because humans are not that simple. Okay, this isn't a game of fucking Sims. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And people are, I mean, people like to act like they're that's being put upon them, but individuals are are choosing teams. They're choosing to be on this group versus that group. Yeah, playing to the human nature thing because they think that, oh, well, this is just a way society yeah, so works. I, I think, I think that, um, so we're talking about a distancing that led to a, um, to the real divide. The real divide being classic liberalism versus all other illiberal ideologies. Um, and, and so I think part of that is because liberalism was so baked into the fabric of modern society, at least in, in liberal democracies in the West, Mm -hmm. um, that people sort of started to take it for granted. Um, and, and, and not only that, but the left appropriated the word liberal, um, and, and, you know, they basically started using it to mean left-wing policy, which is not what the word means, um, originally. And, and so not only did people start to take classic liberal values for granted, but they also started to, uh, they, but like in our public discourse, we, we basically erased the entire concept of classic liberal values because we started using the word to refer to a left-wing economic vision and a left-wing social vision that are in fact actually quite illiberal. Mm. 
I got to take it back to religion again because I'm like, you're just describing how like the church was formed because it was like, okay, here we have these ideas about kindness and forgiveness. Jesus died for your sins. And then that became like, okay, let's all get together and sing songs about it. And then that became, okay, give the dollar, give the church a dollar. <laughs> come here every week. If you did something wrong, you have to come here and tell us everything. Well, we will absolve you of all your sins. We will not God. No, this concept of forgiveness, I think. Yeah, as, as another one of these deep, deep human things, people want the easy out. People want to just go to church every Sunday, put a dollar in the basket, and get to feel like they're a good human. Well, and, and mean, meanwhile, while this while while liberalism is kind of fading into a, a vague status quo background and and is being forgotten and replaced, um, while that's going on, um, we dramatically increased public funding for colleges. Um, which meant that we increased the accessibility of colleges, which sounds like a good thing, and in a lot of ways it is. And then, as often happens with well-intended policies, resulted in some negative, unexpected consequences, although they could have been predicted and were predicted by some people. Um, so that na namely being that, you know, obviously when you go from having five or ten percent of the population graduating from college, you go to having 25% of the population graduating from college, um, you, you know, more than somewhere between double and quintuple the supply of white collar labor. At the same time, new technologies are actually make, reducing the, um, the demand for a lot of jobs. And so what that, what that has actually led to the, a lot of the stagnation of salaries that the left complains about. Right. And yeah. so now well, we have, now we have this, now we have job. this socioeconomic system where we have a lot of overeducated people um, who cannot get jobs that pay enough to support the lifestyle that they think as white collar professionals they're entitled to. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing's kind of a mess, isn't it? Understatement. Yes. And th this is why guys, anybody who is coming into this sphere, the big problem. Okay. It is one of the most complicated, jumbled, fucked up messes of Christmas lights you have ever seen. If, if, if you're a nineties kid, and you remember pulling the Christmas lights out of the box and we're trying to untangle that bitch. This is going to take a lot of fucking work. And you know what? When you get it all the way unraveled and you plug it in, there's probably going to be some fucking lights missing. You're going to have to go and replace them. This is not a topical <laughs> so that's, okay, thing. Jitter, jitter. I, 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 people I, want such I appreciate a your, answer. I appreciate your metaphor, right? So that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to untangle yeah. the lights. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to point out the fact that there are a lot of different things that are contributing to this phenomenon that we have and that that the the cause of it is not a, you know it's 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 a complex i mean it's a web it's a web of lights you're right that is exactly what it is i'm trying to untangle it and each strand is a totally different thing right yeah, and pulls on everything else and it's got all these yeah exactly you, and you, you pull too you hard on trying to untangle one strand you might actually accidentally cause a bigger knot somewhere else right yeah it's totally like untangling christmas lights bro 
Oh. Yeah, not only that, but if you pull too hard, you can break them, and then they won't work any, at all anymore, and then you got to throw the whole thing out, you know? So so yet another strand that we can talk about here, um, it, also relating to the concept of meritocracy, is that it used to be, and, and again, if you want to see this outlined in more detail, go check out the inequality episode, um, but... But it used to be that the vast majority of extremely wealthy people were actually born into their wealth, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, only in the last few decades has it switched, and now the vast majority of wealthy people are actually self-made. Our society has, in many ways, become more meritocratic. Oh yes, but the that, new money dollar. Well, wait. Let me let me finish getting this thought out before <laughs> before you move on again. But like, okay, so you know, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing, right? We should want success to be based on hard work and you earn it and you deserve it right and as opposed to being born into it um but there are a lot of negative side effects to that too um and one of them is that back when you had a a class where people would pass stuff down to their children which by the way i think people should have the right to do it's their stuff they already paid money on already paid taxes on the money you know, they bought it, they own it. If they want to give it to their kid, I think they should, they should be able to. And, 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 um, what's so bad about somebody coming into the world and not having to slave away in order to get by? Like if they, you know, they have a house makes their life that much better, you know, right. Rather than resenting that, um, and trying to take it away from them, maybe we should try to help more people do that. But that's uh, right. aside. That's precisely the thing, because if you tell somebody, if you in your economic class as society has d decided tells somebody like me, something like that, who is out, you know, like fucked at 17. I wish I would have had like, oh, yes, here, it would have honey, made, here, yeah, exactly. car, here, like, I mean, it means, it, it, does, it means that if you do go and get a job, you know, like you don't have to pay rent and like you can save more of that money. And, you know, you've got anyway, like, long, like I, the, the yeah, resentment, the, 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 the idea that you, the idea from. that the way to fix the world is to ruin the lives of people who whose lives are good as opposed to improve the lives of people whose lives are bad. Um, that's a problem. But anyway, moving. So like, I understand the, the wait, 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 general, general. So be, because, um, because of the fact that people feel like they're more entitled to their wealth, right? Um, they actually now have less a sense of generosity toward the lower classes than they did. Right. So it used to be that if you, you know, you were born into a, an upper class family, you would have a sense of they have to have a term for it in French, noblesse oblige, right? It's this idea that you have a moral responsibility toward people who are, who are less uh, privileged than you, right? And and that was actually a kind of interclass respect and compassion, where people, working class people, looked up to upper class people, and upper class people were extremely compassionate and helpful toward working class people. A lot of that is falling down um, in society again, as a as a consequence, and perhaps unintended but predictable consequence of well intended policies that moved us in, in a more mer meritocratic direction. And so, you know, all of all of this, that's just that's just another strand of lights there, man. There's so much going on. Mm. Which is why, like the, these again and and <laughs> well, let's take this opportunity for a plug. This is why shows like this are so important, guys, because no one person is going to swoop in and save the day and figure all this shit out overnight. It's going to take like all of us. Uh, all hands on deck. It's going to take all of us trying to figure this out at the same time and trying our best to do it together. 
Okay, let, let me like take this to a completely different realm. Okay, SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Okay, we had this big telescope in Arecibo that just broke. Radio telescope, very sad. Uh, big sad face. Um, the amount of data, okay, that that thing collected is will break your brain if if you try to imagine okay and this is when we're searching for signals in the noise okay it we're not just talking about one big computer that's gonna have to figure that out we're talking about millions and millions and millions of networked computers working together to try and figure out the solution to try and find narrow down that because you're just dealing with an enormity of shit. It's uh, I don't know why I went to SETI, but this is so perfect because they had this SETI at home thing where you could just have a screensaver run in your background and then your computer's processing power will help sift through that data to try and look for alien <laughs> civilizations. Way, way nerdy off the map here, but it it's really like this is the superpower of the human okay this is how ants build anthills this is how bees build beehives this is how humans build civilizations <laughs> we need to work together okay and it's only because we are all different and all have different skill sets and can all do different things that that is possible i think we're talking about how to solve the problem we haven't really finished laying out even an overview of what the problem is though you know i mean like so yeah those are some of the strands but all of these different strands they are resulting in this in this distance this distancing and what is this distancing what does it mean well <clears throat> the social game that we're playing it's a game it it's leads to a culture game. war it's leading to a culture war remember right it is. and it's and it's a war between that's dividing the working class against itself but it's also a war that's dividing the working class against the elite. Um, and nobody is, is entire. No single group is entirely to blame there. So let's talk about these different groups, right? So let's talk about the fact that all of those groups are made up of humans. Yeah. These groups are very complicated. They're all made up of, of individuals. Yeah. There are people are bouncing around from group to group. It's, it's, it's a, it's a convoluted mess for sure. Yes. But let's try to break it down. Again, classic liberalism versus alternatives. But the alternatives are, are – there's a lot of different ones, right? There's a kind of – there's a sort of neo-Marxist postmodern understanding of, of um, socioeconomic issues that manifests itself in this kind of like elect social justice ideology. Um, and, and then there's this kind of like traditionalism, which is really not standing up for classic liberalism. It's more of just kind of, in, at least in the case of the working class part of it, it's more of just kind of like wanting to be able to just be casually bigoted still and not have to <laughs> not have to come to terms with, you know, uh, our, the kind of prejudice that all, all individuals are susceptible to. Um, and then, and then there's the actual liberalism, which is the alternative to it, but it's the one, it's the part, it's the part of the war that is largely being ignored, you know, like what, what do you think about this, this kind of like performative wokeness and the oppression Olympics and all of that? Like, is I, that, I, is that, is that, re I mean, who, it, cause you know, the people who, the people who, um, push that ideology are, are convinced that that's the solution to our problems. And 
I, I agree with them about like what the symptoms are, but I think that their diagnosis and therefore their prescriptions are wrong and they're actually making the problem worse. Performative. I like that you used wokeness, but this is a, you really fucking hit the nail on the head there. Performative righteousness. It's an act. It's a play. It's for your amusement. It's fake. And that's why so much of this shit is a mess, you guys, because it's a game that we're playing. And we don't live in the game. We live in reality. That's why shit's so fucked up. I feel like I, I, I feel like I sound like it just like disappeared into the woods and took a bunch of mushrooms. And I was like, yeah, guys, <laughs> society, the world, it's a game. All of the all of the conflict and all the bullshit. It's a game that we're playing and yeah you, no i think you you're can right. choose and, and, not to play yeah, no, and it's, actually it's, just look well, at the but, world like, that's the problem in. though but like i don't think i mean yes i that war between wokeness or what mcwhorter calls the elect and what i'm i just turned <laughs> casual bigotry masquerading as traditionalism i think that's yes, the appropriate thing it, to call it well, yeah, neither it of those neither of those is the way you guys like they're both yeah. wrong right equally and wrong. there is there is this actual there is this actual ideology that our founders saw fit to base our our system on called liberalism and that's the real answer but you know the, the but like but you know, because of because of the fact that liberalism has been erased and it's been replaced by this neo-Marxist social justice thing, we're never going to get there. Right. Because if you are if you're busy fighting, like fighting between casual bigotry and wokeness, then you're not going to get to the real answer that I mean, that that is the problem. It's this this cultural war. That is the cultural war that's dividing regular people. And and then there's this there's this simultaneous distancing that's going on with elites who who are still standing by classic liberalism, but it doesn't matter because the mob is demanding, you know, some kind of of radical illiberal shift one or the other. Like we're either going to become fascist or communist and even elites of society can't seem to do anything about it. All they can do is kind of hold it off for a little while. I was just kind of thinking, I was thinking about this a little. I'm like, okay, who are the leaders of classic liberalism living classic liberal leaders today? Can you name me? I can't. We don't have anybody like really fundamentally. Well, Steven Pinker comes to mind. Well, yes. So, yeah. Of so course, the, the, like the within Harvard the IDW, there's a handful of obscure people that only 12 of us have ever heard of. I'm talking <laughs> like I mean, he's, mainstream figure. He's a very okay. famous person. I started to say rich. I don't know how rich he is. He's a very famous person. A living um, Abraham Lincoln. Do we have one of those? Uh, I mean, yeah, no, it, I have to say it has disappointed me to see, you know, because Trump had lowered the bar so much in terms mm. of the behavior of a president that just not being a traitor who's trying to destroy the republic um, means that Biden is already an improvement. But I'm nevertheless very disappointed to see him kind of ratcheting ratcheting up this culture war um talking about equity and things like that um instead of i mean he on the one hand he is doing a lot of good rhetoric talking about unity and i think that it is a it is a genuine belief of his he really does believe in unity he really does have a history of bipartisanship which of course means that the far left hates him um mm. but that's fine because i hate the far left um 
But, you know, all right, unity is good, but the answer is not equity, right? You you want to talk about the difference between equity and equality, or do you want, want me to handle that one? Just to remind our listeners. Well, it's, I mean, this feels like another one of those dead horses, but it that really is kind of uh, with uh, Grandpa Joe. Uh, I'm not following this at all. Did not watch the inauguration. Didn't, didn't care. Don't know what's going on with either of them. It's cool. They they got a lot of really, really good uh, pop stars. Like it was pretty impressive. Like the, Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They got a, it was, it was was quite, it was quite a concert. It was like an all-star cast of musicians. That was pretty cool. Yeah, it's like this fucking Super Bowl. This is what America exists for. It's entertainment. Most of it is entertainment. The thing you guys need well, to realize, including like including Republicans like Garth fake. Brooks. You know what I mean? Like Trump couldn't get Garth Brooks. Biden did, and he's a Republican. <laughs> oh Lord, uh, you know, I I am one of those people who is kind of worried about um what is being whispered in his ear <laughs> you know mr G- old grandpa joe because i mean this no guy, i am too that's what i'm saying like that so, I, like, okay, so let's break it down right equity like, uh, equity right as opposed to equality equality usually we use it to mean equality of opportunity all people are equal they all have a right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness right um, you mm-hmm. shouldn't you you shouldn't be held back in society just because of your skin color or just because of your sex or just because of your sexual orientation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right? That's what you, we usually mean by equality. Equity yeah. is a, is about equality everybody of outcome, outcome, yeah. right? Regardless and, of what you do, everybody Biden gets the keeps same. talking about this idea, and he needs to stop it because uh, that is wading right into this culture war that that is the problem. Right. Just don't yes. do it. Don't go there. Like if you yes. want unity, don't go there. Bro, a five year old could tell you that's not fair. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. A fucking five year old could tell you that equity is not fair. Whatever. <laughs> in practice, what it means is you actually want systemic racism against white people. You want systemic sexism against men. Right. And you want oh, to, to have systemic that's heterophobia. Uh, that's what it means. Uh, Let's be honest about uh, that. That's what it yeah, means. Right. Uh, well, it's that's what it would result with. But it, it, <laughs> yeah, I feel like anytime we're getting uh, the it, that felt slightly in Sully. But yeah, <laughs> um, which, <laughs> that is really the result there. And it's it's both ways it, it, in invariably that is what something like that will lead to you will preferentially treat people differently based on their immutable characteristics like the thing people call race and uh religion you get it sexuality uh that is invariably what will happen, and then there right, will no, exactly. be new it's, it's, oppressed, it's, oppressed groups, which is why, yes. because to say, yes, then white men would be oppressed, and that's not fair. That's like, ding, 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 ding. Okay, now he's a Nazi. Congratulations, Rio. We're both Nazis. I'm not sure if you're aware. That's Wait, how but, this you know, works. But Jenner, the thing that pisses me off so much, though, is that I don't actually believe that the Biden administration's policies are really going to manifest themselves in that in that way to that extent. I think that, oh, no. No, I, I think but I think I think that I think that in pandering to the woke or the elect with this rhetoric, he's just perpetuating a culture war where both sides are wrong. 
All right. So like if you're if you're on the casual bigotry side, you are not standing up for classic liberalism. Even if you say you are, you are just wanting to continue to pe- perpetuate, you know, uh, a, a world where, you know, being a white guy does give you an advantage. That's bullshit, too. All right. And then if you're on the woke elect side, um, you're not actually standing up against bigotry. You're just doing a, a different kind of bigotry. You're, 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 you're pushing for a systemic bigotry against white people and men. And that's yes. also bullshit, right? Like it's seriously, but meanwhile, wrong. meanwhile, yeah. a real classic liberal is no alt-right Nazi and no far left commie. They're just a person who says, treat people like individuals, not members of identity groups for fuck's sake. Treat people like people. Hashtag humanity first, guys. I feel like that's the most condensed message that has ever been on the political stage as far as I've seen in my lifetime. Right. So, Jenner, remember when I said that I agreed with. Remember when I said that I I actually agree with the. that these the symptoms are are a real thing that the woke elect are concerned about, but I disagree with their diagnosis and therefore their prescription, right? So what I mean yes. by that is I think bigotry is a real problem. I think that there are racist people in this world, and that includes racist white people and racist brown people and racist black people. There are individuals who are racist. Not only that, but like most of us, um, arguably maybe all of us, are susceptible to that kind of prejudice. Right. Um, Where we start stereotyping people based on skin color. It's just a Mm -hmm. thing that happens to us. It's a function Um, of human nature. Right. And so it's a real problem that is worth addressing. We should be talking about it. We should be addressing it. Um, But you see in the same thing with, you know, uh, prejudice about sex or sexuality. These are this is a real problem. And not only that, but it's a problem that's probably always going to exist because it's human nature, right? There are things we can do to steer culture in a better positive direction. And we actually have over the last several decades, we've made enormous progress on this, right? It it used to be far more acceptable to just be unapologetically bigoted, right? And Trump brought a little of that back. Um, and I think that's part of the appeal. Part of his appeal to some people is like, oh, cool. Now I can just, you know, fly the Confederate flag proudly again. Jesus Christ. But like, you know, and and not only that, but wear Camp Auschwitz shirts and shit like that. Oh, um, yeah, no, that's bad. Right. So like we, we need. So this is the symptoms that they're concerned that's, about. Are real. Those are real problems. Right. But their diagnosis is that the problem is society and our entire system and our entire structure is systemically prejudiced. And that just hasn't been true for a long time. Yeah. And and not only that, but because of things like affirmative action, it's actually you could argue a systemically prejudiced against the other side, right? And so that was... Yeah, exactly. And so the prescriptions are wrong. I I think that like we we need to move past this culture war and rediscover classically liberal values that should be common but on both sides, right? Whether you're on the left or the right, we need to rediscover this idea that individuals are individuals. I I think go a step further, remove the left, right, remove, remove all the black, white, brown, yellow, purple. I feel just as awkward and uncomfortable referring to somebody, another human being as black as I would like being 
uncomfortable calling an Asian person yellow like that to me feels very, very cringy. So I want to remove all of these old dead words from our language and just stop talking like that because that I feel like has been most of it. There was a well, really I mean, important I, I understand your point. Like, <laughs> democracy does need to, I mean, a democracy oh, does. I mean, a democracy is inevitably going to have two or more coalitions, right? And you have to get a majority coalition to push policy through. So you're going to have sides, right? Yes. Um, but I do but think, you don't... know, like Andrew Yang got to the, gets to some of that when he talks about how, like, um, uh, he says that the the capitalism versus socialism debate is outdated, right? And I've been thinking a lot about what he means by that because I've been I've been debating with actual communists and actual actual socialists on this podcast, and I was wondering what does Yang really mean about that? Because he also calls himself a capitalist, right? So I used to think it was as simple as, um, you know, it's settled, um, capitalism is the way, but I think it's a little more nuanced than that. I think what Yang really means is, especially if you look at the the policies he's advocating, are are reforms to our social democratic mixed economy. He's not advocating that we go back to full on laissez faire capitalism. Um, and he's certainly not advocating for us becoming more socialist. Um, I think what he means by it's outdated is that every single civilized Western liberal democracy has already settled this question. We are we are in a mixed economy. All of these countries that were where democracy is a thing, we're all mixed economies already, right? And so arguing about whether we should whether we should, um, you know, go back to the time of uh, robber barons and and child labor, or if we want to, you know, like try do the Soviet Union 2.0, right? That is outdated because the, both of those ideas are bad, and that's why we gave up on them a long time ago, right? We have a mixed economy, we have a social democracy. Now let's talk about within that spectrum, within that Overton window, um, of what really what is classic liberalism. Um, what do we do about that? Right. Like where, what specific policies should we want? That's the real, that's the real debate. And, and when you, when, when, when people are pushing for, you know, kind of endlessly arguing about, about like pure capitalism and pure socialism, when those things don't really exist anymore, it is a bit outdated, isn't it? Like, I mean, even it, if you want well, it, it's just, it does seem like that's just not, I it's think not, you're not in touch with reality. I think none of it exists. If I have to go all like Yuval Noah Harari on you guys, these are all fictions. <laughs> We're talking about fictions. And I feel like the further you step back from these problems and think about them like that, the more progress we're going to make overall. But you gave me so much to respond to, and then we hit another wave. But just on this note of – because I'm making notes, man – People falling into prejudice um, kind of as a function of human nature, I feel like it's really important to lay out how and kind of why that happens. This was a product of evolutionary biology, and it's the function of discernment. Um, this gave human beings the power of discernment to read facial expressions in other humans and in other animals okay guys if you have if you have doggy dogs 
millions of years went in of evolutionary long times went into giving you that ability to recognize faces okay and this fools us sometimes the main way it fools us is with pareidolia this is a function uh, of the brain that allows us to see um to recognize uh patterns in random data the power of discernment discernment does not mean discrimination but it those are correlated they can connect one can lead to the other so when i woke up this morning on twitter everybody was talking about lauren wolf um who was an editor at the new york times and who has apparently been canceled because she tweeted out that um, listening to Joe Biden speak and seeing the inauguration gave her chills um, and meaning chills in a good way. Apparently she was getting the idea that like, Oh, you know, it gave me chills to see that like democracy had survived these attacks upon it, including a literal attack on our capital. That was a, an act of seditious terrorism. And mm. now we have this guy calling for unity and talking about the, the, the need for both sides to stand up for basic values like democracy, et cetera. And that gave her chills. Um, and so and like, I, again, I'm just going off of what was on the news and Twitter today. Maybe she was fired for some other reason, but the, a lot of, a lot of alt-right trolls are jumping on it and saying like, see, we told you about cancel culture. <laughs> cancel culture is coming for you next. Um, and so I, it this is, is this, the reason I bring this up is because like I said, it's been very abstract. And so now here's a specific example that just happened. Where oh. the culture wars is alive and well, what the he- okay? So how do we fit all that into our analysis? Like, what what what's the what's the problem there? First of all, the first thing to point out is that as I've said over and over and over again, the alt right is not right wing. If they were actually right wing, you wouldn't need to put the word alternative in front of it. And their obsession with this concept of cancel culture is a perfect example of it. All right, let me be really clear about this. By definition, only somebody on the hard left could believe in cancel culture because only a communist would think they're entitled to a goddamn job. All right. The actual right wing thinks that employers should be able to fire somebody for any reason because it's their company, private property rights. Get over it. Right. And now moving on from that, though, on the subject of the actual culture war, right, where the reason why people are being canceled that I'm that I I, we've been talking about for a while. You've got these two sides. They're both crazy. The casual bigots and the woke elect, um, which is just another kind of bigotry against a different different group of people. Um, that culture war is real, right? And a, an employer has every right to worry about public relations. You know, if you're the New York Times and most of your readers um, subscribe to the woke elect ideology, um, then you might need to cancel somebody. But it looks like in this case, she was fired because they're actually taking very seriously this idea that, I mean, if, if this is what she was, if this is the reason she was fired um, per the internet today, um, then it would seem like they're trying to signal that they actually do want their paper to be impartial. And they were actually saying that she had reduced her credibility as an editor by making such a partisan statement on Twitter. I mean, wouldn't that be a, a thing that the right would welcome? Wow. The real right? I mean, where, where, where are we with all this? I think people, maybe they're just, they yeah, like I mean, because your, your job as a journey journalist is not to be a personality and hey, hey, kids, think what I think. <laughs> you know, you can believe 
that an employer has a right to fire somebody and that you know the idea that you're entitled to a job no matter what you say or do is absurd, especially if you're a, an editor at a newspaper where what you say in public matters, right? Yeah, that, you I, can believe I, that, but also at the same time think that this culture war and and the Twitter warriors who are trying to get you canceled based on the culture war are also misguided. Like, but you can believe both of those statements at the same time. Absolutely. I was just going to say, because of what has already been said on my show, (laughs) I can probably never get a job again, like ever. Um, And it, it, it hasn't been really anything that crazy. I have I've I've had a cancel mob of one. I had posted uh, as my, my at Mindwave podcast on Twitter. I had posted uh, my response to one of these insane things that was posted that insinuated that sexual orientation was by its very nature uh, bigoted because discernment equals discrimination equals hatred. Uh, was basically the, the the premise that you had to follow. It was like, no, if you have any kind of, uh, you know, uh, genital preference at all, you are inherently transphobic. You're an awful, evil, bigot person. And then I was like, okay. Literally, the only thing I said was like, um, sexual orientation is not a choice. Okay, this is not like you're the way that you are sexually oriented as a as a human being. That is not a choice. And you can't say that, uh, you know, that is by itself. Well, and also sexual orientation, evil. sexual orientation is is measured based on your attraction to, to sexes, to biological Indivi- to, sexes, to individuals, not, not, to really to individuals. not to people's gender identities. Right. Well, so it, like if you're a, if you're a homosexual man, you're male. attracted yeah. to other biological males right and if you're a heterosexual man you're attracted to biological females right and there and are that lots is, that of is what those words mean kids that is what those yes, words mean um i'm a homosexual man that means i'm a man i've always been one i don't have yeah, to it's not it's not called it's not called homogender right it's not called homogender <laughs> or heterogender and if there are like thousands of different genders out there then what would that even mean anymore anyway um, Which, oh, we are so down a rabbit hole now. Uh, but yeah, she took wild offense to this and, and immediately tweeted, do not let the fact that this podcast is run by a gay man fool you. This is wildly transphobic and like evil and like horrible. Yeah, oh my well, God. I mean, I've definitely seen that before. Was, this idea that even just, like, girl, you know, just, just saying that you're <laughs> being homosexual makes you transphobic. Yes, that's because that's that's Um, that's the exact. Yeah, that's another good specific example. But like I said, like you can you can you can you can think you can think that that culture war is misguided, and also still think that this complaining about about cancel culture is bullshit at the same time. You know what I mean? Like you have a right to say what you want to say, and your employer has a right to take that into consideration in hiring you. As far as hmm. I'm concerned, I'm so, and, well, and you know, I have to say, like there. these these, I, I, these I, quote alt right, like lefty whiny incel babies, um, they are so entitled and so whiny. I mean, like they they almost make the Bernie Bolsheviks look more look self sufficient by comparison. I I I think that like the Trump toddlers and the Bernie babies all go in the basket together. None of these people speak for me as an actual right winger. I think that they're crazy. 
All right. Um, yeah. Now, as far as I just need, <laughs> I just need to cl- just ribbon, just tiny little ribbon, girl. I need to close that package because the end of that story is that that was a mob of one. Um, this was one person who is was fairly high profile, worked for oh, a presidential yeah, I mean, candidate, really a was calling out because it's all it's all of her followers too, right? Yes, but it got zero zero traction. Like zero. This is somebody who has way more followers. No likes, no retweets. People were like, girl, really? No, that's good. <laughs> you can't, you're telling a gay guy he's a bigot for being gay. Uh, like, I don't and know that's, that so, was like, the result To get us back on topic, I mean, but anywhere. this is actually an example. Never went to get us back on topic about, you know, what's, what's leading to the great distancing. You know, I think that the, the great distancing it, between elites and regular people is actually happening due to essentially three things education travel um and cities versus rural living right urban versus rural living um people who did not they're not part of the 25 percent of the population which is more than ever before um who are graduating from college they have a very different understanding of the world and i know that the people on the um the casual bigotry side of this this culture war want to characterize it as they're being indoctrinated in college. But while there is some of that going on, um, it's also just the fact that when you go to college, you meet people who are different from you, who come from different parts of the country um, or even other parts of the world um, who are not the same race or, or, or sexual orientation as you, right? Especially if you're coming from a small town and you're going to a university, it, that, that alone with or without the indoctrination, which I, I will, I will, I have spoken about on this podcast before. I believe that that is a thing that is happening. Um, oh, I don't think it's, the, I don't think it's the same sciences. extent that they say it is, but it is happening. But I'm just saying like, even without that, just the experience of meeting people, you know, who um, don't, didn't grow up in the same tiny town as you, that is, that is a huge factor. And then um, on top of it, you know, once people achieve a certain level of affluence, they travel, they see the world. Right. Um, and they know like that broadens their horizons as well. And again, living in an urban area where you meet more people, there's, there's more diversity in every possible way that broadens your horizons. Right. And so I, I think that a lot of this distancing really comes down to the fact that in a way the world is getting smaller. Um, we're becoming a much more global civilization, right? Um, mm-hmm. And people in elite circles are more comfortable with that because they're more comfortable with people who are unlike them. Um, and that is a huge part of the reason why this distancing is happening. What do you think about that, Jenner? I think it's totally fine that it's turning the frogs gay. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Globalization as as a thing. Yeah, we're becoming one planet. Uh, and I think it's ultimately a good thing. I think that in in this new in this new uh, one world kind of realm, which it yeah, if you take the imagination to like dystopia, you could be like one world government, one flag, Earth, you know. But there's also but, a, like, a, but it's a not, very but, nice. Like, that's the thing, though. It's like it's not. Him. It's not. One, it, it, we're not leading toward a one world government. No, what, we're not. What, what's happening? It, it's basically cosmopolitanism, result. right? Yes, if that's what it is. And you you see a lot of you see a lot of the people on the like, casual bigotry side of the argument. Are, are basically saying like, oh, multiculturalism is so bad, right? Well, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the alternative to that, really, right? Now, 
right? This is I'm, I'm talking about why I agree with the symptoms of the woke and elect, but not with the diagnosis and the prescriptions, right? But on the symptoms side, they are the on the right side of this argument, okay? Um, but like, oh, you know, that's what, the thing but, from but earlier. Like, what would the alternative to multiculturalism be? Monoculturalism? Okay, like we have a word for that. Right. If you've never exposed yourself to a culture that you other than the one that you grew up in, that's not monoculturalism. That's just called being uncultured. OK, I'm sorry. <laughs> exactly. That's the lack of that's a culturalism. Uh, I, I would not say mono. I would say a culturalism. <laughs> Well, I mean, in, are, in it, practice, it, usually people black. who are that, yeah, no, usually people who are that unstudied about the world don't really understand their own culture either. Um, that's true. And actually, frankly, Precisely. in order to get a oh, better God, understanding of your own culture, <laughs> in order to understand what makes you, what makes the culture you come from unique, you need to know what to compare it to, <laughs> right? Which means you need to look at other cultures. I mean, so like on, on this on this issue of the symptom, right? The fact that that ignorance uh, uh, breeds this kind of casual bigotry. Um, the woke elector, right? Um, it's only on the diagnosis and prescription stage where where they start to make everything about systemic this and that, um, and and use that logic to justify just a different another form of bigotry. That is that's where things go wrong, but. But on on this on the uh, the symptoms level, they're right. They're right, and nobody wants to be told that. They don't want to be told that because you, you know, you grew up in a small town and you 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 didn't go to college and you didn't travel, and you don't live in a big city. You don't. You're not exposed to people who think and act and look differently from you. That's going to limit your worldview. Um, and I think that it is leading to a massive distancing between quote regular people, and what um, you know what what we're basically calling calling elite and and actually even within urban areas you know if you're a working class person in you know a poor part of a big city you're still not going to have access to those education experiences you're still not really going to travel outside of your neighborhood in your city very often right um and um and and certainly not you know internationally and and so the the the, the divide is happening there too the distancing is happening there too Jesus, you gave me so much to respond to, and I'm making notes all over the place. <laughs> well, one thing the, to keep in mind: we had something on the race on, well, in, in we, terms of the, the the symptoms part, because th this is something. This is where you and I kind of fall very it, it, within the same kind of area. Is where I fall on race because when I or anybody else, for that matter, regardless if they are of an, another cisgendered white male. Uh, which is not uh, on my fucking t-shirt, okay? So I'm not walking around like that. But on this issue of race, my my position is that it's imaginary. It doesn't exist. And people immediately take that to, okay, well, you are ignoring the symptoms of this. And I'm, that is precisely the opposite of what I'm doing. Yeah, you're saying because people shouldn't care about those things. This you're, really say, you're saying that they shouldn't, they shouldn't judge people idea. based on their skin color, which is a very yes. simple idea that nobody should really have a problem with. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and so I think it's, a, like to, again, again, to try to make it a little bit okay. less abstract and give some specific examples, like how does this, this multicultural um, elite um, manifest itself in policy? Well, it, re it results in standing up for actual liberal values on specific policy issues. So, you know, this this whole debate about globalism, right, versus nationalism, well, the elite establishment of both parties and and 
to the extent that the Republican Party is being taken over by populist nationalists, that's changing. But until Trump came along, the elite establishment of both parties was was pro-globalism, right? And not um, this, this narrow conception of nationalism. But the far left and the alt-right are both against it. All right. Now, another example, free trade, right? These are all going to be examples of of, of the, the globalism versus nationalism debate, but they're more specific. It's like free trade, the establishment of both parties, the elite establishment of both parties are on the actual right wing position of that, which they are pro free trade, whereas the far left and the alt right um, are, are protectionist. Right. That's another this is another manifestation in policy of the great distancing. Then there's there's the, the issue of um, whether or not we should be engaged in global leadership, right? New conservative policy, the idea that we should try to influence other countries, that we should intervene if it's called for, that we should try to um, spread democracy and undermine authoritarianism, right? The establishment of both parties were in favor of the U.S. having a role of global leadership in that way. And the far left and the alt-right, right, are both isolationist. And then, of course, on the issue of immigration, the establishment of both parties, people forget George W. Bush was the one who tried, wanted, who was pro-amnesty, for God's sake, right? The establishment of both parties are like, yeah, we're a beacon on the hill. Let them in. People want to come here and, and, and enjoy a better life. As long as they embrace our American values, they're welcome. But the far left and the alt-right are both opposed to that, right? Because, you know, you want to shut those borders down. Um, working class people shouldn't have to compete with brown people who are coming in. Etc. Right, and so this uh, this this distancing is the difference between the establishment and the populist, the rise of populist illiberalism, and it is due to different cultural norms. And and I mean, I think we're really getting to the heart of it. What do you think? Mm, the the hyper polarization, or what? Let's go because we made this. Uh, I mean, this distinction earlier between discernment and discrimination. Um, we discern the difference between an apple and an orange. Okay, you can call that discrimination. Is discrimination bigotry? <laughs> this is this is these are the levels uh, of the cake here, which you have to get through uh, to start to understand some of these um, problems. I I find any time. Honestly, real. I find any time that we try to point to any specific thing, far left, alt right, I feel like any time we try to narrow it down to a group that people are then self-identified with or not, I feel like it's like the spirit is clearly the right thing, but this goes back to the whole thing that we were talking about with uh, race and the, the the symptoms of the problems and that, that kind of backwards compatibility th thing there. I don't know if I, I, I'm sure I just lost a bunch of people, but like for everybody who's still with me, it's that same kind of, of phenomenon where I feel like any time that we point a finger to a specific thing and say this group of people is doing this, this is, you know, the thing, I feel like it's unhelpful uh, ultimately because what we're really talking about are people um, and how they 
move around in the world. Well, and that's true. I in mean, the same I, way, I, in the same way that the left wants to tag on all the oppression Olympics medals and say, if you've earned all yeah, of but, these, but, but, then but, you but Jenner, them. to be clear though, I, I think that that is exactly my point, right? Because it's not just the yeah. far left who are playing the oppression Olympics. The alt-right does too. I mean, the alt-right it's is all about that whole way of thinking male identity wrong. politics. That's what it's about. That's precisely what I was getting at. That whole way of thinking is wrong. Yeah, and no, I, I agree. Those, those groups I, are wrong. I, those ideologies are wrong. That's what I'm saying. Out. The individuals yes, who buy into them are wrong to do so. Yes. It's important to point out that this is absolutely happening on quote unquote both sides see we just use another trigger phrase that got us on the uh not well it's list, definitely but. it's definitely manifesting itself on the basis of both political parties yes but i think it's a left-wing yeah. problem period i think that i think that the alt-right and the far left are both left-wing in this res- in this respect i honestly don't even fully myself i don't even fully understand um, you know, the fundamental differences between left and right, and it's mostly because nobody else does either, and we're just kind of using stand-in words to generalize, and anytime you generalize a large, complex group of anything, you're gonna have a bad time. Right, let me let me clarify it in a in a, a simple way then. I think that um if you're if you're core motivation uh for your political positions is doing is that you think the government should intervene in one way or another in the market in order to um uh, protect um the jobs uh and the wages and so forth of 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 the working class if it's a labor movement the uk has this right their left wing party is called the labor party for a reason you guys okay mm-hmm. to the extent that a movement is labor focused it is left wing and look at what's happened with the Republican Party since the rise of Trumpism. All of the, not all, but the vast majority of college-educated, white-collar professionals, capitalists, elites, etc., have been fleeing the Trumpster fire, right? And it is increasingly a working-class movement. So to that extent, you know, to, and it's manifesting itself in their policies. If you're opposed to free trade, then you have that in common with the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. You're to the left of Joe Biden. That's what I mean by it. Mm. This is one of the most helpful things, I think, for the listener. Is that constant, that little the rubber band on the wrist to like, hey, get get the words right. What are we actually talking about? Because as I've as we've established, most of what we're doing as a society is a game. And big chunks of it are a language game where the words don't even mean what they mean. Yeah, no, I agree. So I, I, this is where the reality bubbles I, get no, I, really I, I agree. confusing. We're coming up on Everybody's two hours using here, different so words. to start wrapping yeah. up. But yes, um, the, the, so like, like, I think this is the appropriate uh, place to talk and to, to move into what the actual solution is, right? Because now part of the reason that people are confused about the left-right spectrum and um, is because they are focused on this counterproductive culture war where both of the both sides of the people obsessed with that culture war are wrong, right? They're, that's, the, that's the way they see the political spectrum, okay? Um, so how do we get those people – 
How do we get those people to rediscover, if they ever knew it, the value of classic liberalism and and move away from this counterproductive culture war? How do we get them to, you know, because as I said, in terms of the symptoms, I think that the the woke and the um, elect are correct, but they're wrong about the diagnosis and the prescription. So I think the symptom, the solution to the ignorance and bigotry and the backwardsness of both the far left and the alt right populist movements is mm-hmm. that we need we need to we need to really rediscover the value of liberalism. The diagnosis is illiberalism. Illiberalism is the problem. And the prescription to solve that problem is humanity first. I think Yang's humanity first vision is the rebranding and the upgrading that we need of liberalism 2.0 to try to de-radicalize people, get them away from the culture war and refocused on individuals and on centering the rights of individuals. Um, and, and, and seeing like, um, uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this sometimes. Like, I don't always agree with him. In fact, I often disagree with him because he's a religious mm-hmm. apologist among other things, but he does have a really good oh, point. Like, definitely the ultimate, if, you think about the, if you think about the ultimate consequence of intersectionality, it's that the individual is the ultimate minority, right? Because you can, yeah. you can, you can take any individual and break them up into a billion different identity groups, Right because there are on literally unlimited number of ways of describing um, the, the different aspects of a person, right? Race and sex and things like that are just two. That's just, that's just two of them. If you add sexual orientation, that's just three of them. There are so many different facets to what makes an individual. And so the logical conclusion of intersectionality is that the individual is the ultimate minority, right? And liberalism, classic liberalism got that right. That's why they centered individual liberty as the core principle of their political view. We need to rediscover that. And I think humanity first is our compassionate and upgraded way of doing that through policies like the freedom dividend. And this is where people like Jenner come in, because hopefully, listener, I mean, if you stick around for my episodes, I don't know if you do, because I'm fully well aware that my style is very different from Rio's. But what I'm here to do is to entertain. I hope I made you giggle a couple times. That was deliberate. (laughs) But what I'm here to do is make you feel this, not explain it to you like I'm your teacher. I want to make you feel it. I want to make you feel humanity first as a way of being i don't want to explain it to you like it's some new economic doctrine or something you have to sign up for because the things that we're getting at are fundamental human things okay that have been around since the dawn of man i know that's not oh it's uh, the, the dawn of humans okay i didn't mean to sound patriarchal and misogynistic but That's my point. We need to stop playing the language games, get to what we're actually getting at. And in a lot of times, guys, you don't need words at all. You don't need words at all. We getting back to this, you know, power of discernment thing. You can feel other people's feelings, emotions. Just by looking at them, just by being in the same room, just by holding their hand, by giving them a fucking hug or punching them across the fucking face because they're being an asshole. This is you feel other people in the real world as humans is this is how we work. 
you feel all of that. And if we are going to solve these problems real, the thing that we're really getting at, the bedrock here, if we're going to solve the surface political economic problems, we need to solve the human problems. And I think we do that with emotion. We do that with art. Oh yeah, no, for sure. We and that's a that, better, that's a better that, way. Of, this is a new Renaissance. Well, and also, type also, also, um, that's part of the reason, approach. that's part of the reason yeah. why the, the, um, the values of elites in the culture war, um, are winning. You know what I mean? Like, because we have control of Hollywood, you know, <laughs> if you, you, you see the alt-right complaining about it all the time. Um, the problem is, to the extent that it's being taken over by that kind of woke elect stuff, as opposed to just the increased, you know, diversity of characters on television shows, for example, right? That is a good thing. When, 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 when so much of the world doesn't go to college, doesn't travel, right? Um, doesn't live in an urban area. So, so much of the country um, would never be exposed to a person of a different skin color or a different sexual orientation or whatever, if not for those shows. And so exposing them to those shows is a way of broadening their perspective and moving them away from casual bigotry that comes out of ignorance. That's all a good thing. As long as you don't then, you know, get all preachy about how the diagnosis is like systemic oppression and the, the prescription is a different kind of systemic oppression, right? As long as you don't make that extra step, that's all only a good thing. And the people who were bothered about the mere diversity of characters on television are just racist and sexist and homophobic assholes. Okay. I'll be really clear about that, but they're not wrong to resent being preached at in a a new kind of woke elect form of identity politics that just reverses the old hierarchy of bigotry and pushes it back on white men. You know, that part they're right to be concerned about. And so what I'm saying is people need to drop that, rediscover liberalism, upgrade it to 2.0, and Yang's humanity first vision through policies and rhetoric really is the way to do that. It really is. And I think it's helpful to see things this way because, you know, we all we're all here because we we believe in that 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 solution. But I think it's helpful for us to understand why it's why it's the solution that the world needs right now and its ability to, you know, um, kind of calm people down and move them away from this toxic culture war um, and recenter on shared human values that is that is why it works, and and, and this is where, where the distancing is coming from is an important part of solving it. Part of that as well is I have to insist with a big fucking boot on the fucking deck of the pirate ship of the imagination that we're sailing these crazy water in. Um, this is not Yang's humanity first thing it's not his it doesn't belong to him um anybody who was writing that train and making it the andrew yang show and oh isn't it cool to be uh smarty and asian and nerdic good good at math and uh be, was, you guys missed the fucking point um it wasn't his to begin with it the humanity first thing, if it belongs to anybody, belongs to humanity. 
it is the one struggle that we have experienced the entire time our species has been on this planet. Totally, right? Like, I agree. Because, like, if you just jump from the Bernie cult to the Yang cult, or from the Trump cult to the Yang cult, you haven't actually made the real shift to liberalism 2.0 yes. and human capitalism and humanity first you've just you've just main, you've you've maintained your cultish devotion to a person and whatever that person says in an uncritical way and you've simply shifted it to a different person that is it's not literally what like yang wants that is not t-shirt. like you that is not what humanity first is about and and of course yang's not the person who invented it again in a way he's just coming in and saying hey everybody you know, like we're getting a little off track. Let's actually recenter on some values that founded this damn country. Really? Right. Yes. I mean, he's not inventing it. He's just drawing our attention to it. And he's the person who's done the best job of it lately. And that's why we're talking about it. But yeah, of course, it's yeah. not, well, it's, not that, it's not the he, Yang show. He, he, it's humanity awoke. first. Yes, that, that's what it's always been. And, and this is one of those weird teeter totter places where we have to be just tremendously grateful to Andrew Yang for making this a mainstreamable politics conversation to fucking have because pre him, as far as the grand national stage was concerned, there was never anything like this, which is what engaged so many people. It it engaged people from all over all of the spectrums, not just the political spectrum, because that's one. There's all kinds of spectrums all over the human experience. He engaged people from everywhere with this. And it was never his. It was always ours. The thing that we loved that we saw in Andrew Yang, the thing that we loved was us. We saw us in Andrew Yang. Yeah, I know. Totally. That is why he succeeded. And and to be clear, the reason why it's dangerous to make it about the Yang cult is because that overlooks the fact that Yang is a person. He's an individual. He's flawed. He's not perfect, just like all other people. He might be wrong about something. I disagree with him about a number of things already. I'm and if, sure if you're really wrong about critically and independently, you will disagree with Yang about things too, right? So, of course. But yeah, precisely. And I don't mean you. I was using the royal you. Like everybody listening to this, everybody out there, this isn't about blindly being devoted to Andrew Yang. That would be no better than being blindly devoted to Trump or Sanders. Um, like that's just not the way of humanity first. All right. Jenner, right. Um, think, so think for yourself. <laughs> I've started doing a new thing where I, uh, I think a patron at the end of every episode as well. Um, I like that. Yeah. So this time I'm thinking Isaac Brigman, Isaac Brigman, um, has been a patron for months now. And, um, he's, he's sent us like 60 bucks already so far. Thanks a lot, Isaac. Um, that, like every little bit helps and um ads are very useful <laughs> i'm using all the i'm not paying myself anything um i'm using money to run ads to grow the audience so more people can hear these conversations all right jenner i'm going to give you the final word and then we'll sign out oh boy well kids uh if you sat through this conversation you just gave us two hours of your day and i hope you realize that of all of the things that you have in your life that the most valuable asset that you have is time so thank you very much for giving us two hours of your time today i hope you were informed and entertained um this is 
a never-ending story of humanity-level shit. These conversations need to continue, not just here, not on moving forward, not just at Mindwave, but everywhere. These conversations need to continue. You need to add your voice to them. Uh, Break out of the box, become a magical unicorn, uh, and say, uh, fuck the haters, or something sparkly. How's that? <laughs> Thanks, Jitter. All right, and as we say, moving forward is our gumbo. Mm. Thank you for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. We are indeed moving forward and whether or not you feel like you're the right person to talk about it a lot of these issues there's not a right way the point is to do it anyway to keep the conversation moving however we can learn more and support the show at movingforwardpod.com